Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, we'll look ahead to Saturday's game with a beekeeper slash Brentford expert, round up the rest of the Chelsea news and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. And we're back to look ahead to a big weekend for Chelsea Football Club. It's me, Matt. I'm joined today by two of The Athletic's finest. Luke Bosch is back with us. Hi, Luke. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Liam Toomey's here too. You okay, Liam? Yeah, I'm good. It's only Brentford this weekend. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, look, thank you both for being the stalwarts of this pod of late. Cesar Azpilicueta and, and Thiago Silva, if you like. Uh, so, Stamford Bridge will host a derby for the second Saturday in succession this weekend. We'll look ahead to it next. Well, it's only 5.2 miles from the Brentford Community Stadium to Stamford Bridge, just long enough to justify a trip in a luxury coach for the visitors. I bet I know which company they'll use to charter said vehicle. Uh, the Bees have been a pest over the last couple of seasons. Chelsea have lost the last two home games against them, didn't manage so much as a goal against Frank's fellas last term. Big weekend in the Premier League. The clocks go back, so the yellow ball is back. It'll be used from now until March. Even bigger news than that is that we've got the Athletics Brentford <laughs> correspondent, Jay Harris, with us to talk about this game. Um, Jay, many thanks for being with us today. How important was that win against Burnley last week? Only the second of the season and the first at home. Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to call it a relegation six-pointer, and a few people asked me that ahead of the game. But you can't deny the fact it was big. It was their first win of the season since August, first win at home this season. And, you know, if Burnley had won, they would have gone level with points with Brentford. So at a time where Brentford have had a lot of injury troubles and uh, have had a horrible knack of conceding late goals this season, I think that 3-0 win over Burnley was needed to, to settle everyone down a bit. Is it too easy to pin this if you start on the lack of Ivan Tony? I think you could put it on the lack of Ivan Tony, losing David Rea, even losing Pontus Janssen, who's been their captain for the last four years. He didn't play a lot last season, but I just think those three three senior players who are part of the leadership group. And so losing that means others have to step up and they've maybe not stepped up in the right way just yet. It's weird because a few weeks into the season, everybody was talking about Brian and Bumo and Johan Visser being amazing and how actually maybe they played better without Tony. I think um, at times Brentford have over-relied on them a little bit too much this season. And it's maybe some of those fringe players that need to step up a little bit more. But of course, losing Tony is a big factor. All right, so what they need, therefore, to get them um, back on the horse and getting their first back-to-back wins of the season is a visit to a ground where they've had a lot of success in recent years, right? Is this isn't a, a fixture that holds any particular fears for Brentford these days? No, Brentford have a great record against all the members of the Big Six anyways. But I think in particular, even the one game they, they lost to Chelsea in the league during their first season, that 1-0 where Chilwell scores a, a pretty magnificent volley. If you remember, Chelsea were were getting battered for the pretty much the entire second half. And I think Chilwell called it hell on earth, if I remember correctly. So it's not just um, at Stamford Bridge where Brentford, you could argue, have been the better side, but at home too. 
So they'll be well up for it. They'll go into it thinking that they've got nothing to lose. And like you said, their record there in the last couple of seasons suggests that they shouldn't have any reason to. What is it that Brentford do that make them so awkward for big teams to play against? You know, we've we've seen a little bit about their their set piece prowess, and they seem to be quite good at keeping the ball alive. Uh, I don't know how scientific that is as an aspect of football, but they they do seem to have got that down to a to a fine art. So what what is it about them? What is it about their game plan that makes them so awkward? Well, I think one of the reasons is that Thomas Frank will pretty much normally always switch to uh, three centre-backs with two wing-backs and they'll be very defensively compact. But like you said, they won't be afraid to put numbers forward from not just corners and free kicks, but but throw-ins as well. I think it was Jurgen Klopp who said uh, Brentford bend the rules a little bit from throw-ins, which I don't quite agree with, but I get what he means. They're just very physical. They're very clever. Um, You can say that there's similarities between the NBA and the way they almost screen defenders from getting to their markers it's it's very clever and I think that they just know they have nothing to lose they're going to Stamford Bridge look Chelsea have been the kings of West London for what 20 30 40 plus years and I'm sure you guys will know and it's just little old Brentford who were there you know 10 years ago Brentford weren't even a threat to Chelsea so they rock up at Stamford Bridge going if we lose 3-0 it's not the end of the world anything else is is pretty much a bonus so I think they just always carry that into games sometimes especially with newly promoted teams, when they go to away grounds of your Man Cities, your your Arsenal's, your Man United, you get the impression that it's a damage limitation exercise. Whereas I remember when Brentford beat Man City 2-1 at the Etihad last year, Haaland was an injury doubt. And look, maybe this was Thomas Frank trying to be clever in the aftermath, but he claimed after the game, he was like, I really wanted Haaland to play. I wanted to beat Man City at their strongest. You know, I didn't want to have any excuses. So that gives you a little bit of an insight into his mindset and the teams. I just wanted to talk a little bit about Brentford's defence. You mentioned they uh, have a tendency to switch to three at the back in some of the bigger games. Nathan Collins has obviously come in you know, this season from Wolves. Do you think they've struggled a bit more this season? I noticed they've conceded 12 goals in their nine games. I think maybe previously we've associated Brentford with being a bit more solid at the back. Uh, you know, What's changed for them this year? Well, obviously alluded to it a minute ago, but losing David Ray is a, a big factor. Mark Flecken, who they signed from Freiburg's, had, I don't think he's been as dreadful as maybe some of the fans have, are claiming, but he's definitely had a mixed start to life at Brentford. He obviously gave away a penalty against Newcastle. There was the strange looping header against uh, Nottingham Forest. Ben Mee, who has been a revelation since he joined Brentford, has been injured. I think he's missed six games this season. Then you've also got Aaron Hickey, who was starting at right back. He's now moved over to left-back because Rico Henry's suffered an ACL. So you've got Rico Henry, Ben Mee, David Rea, three of your back five, if you like, from last season who are all missing at the moment. And that just makes things a little bit awkward. Like you said, Nathan Collins has come in for a big price tag, £23 million, club record signing. I know that's pennies compared to you lot and how you spend. (laughs) Um, But that's a lot of money by Brentford standards. And so I wouldn't say there's massive pressure on him, but whenever Brentford spend that amount of money, people want, you know, an immediate reaction. And I think Collins has been pretty decent, but I think there's been a couple of games where his lack of pace has been exposed. And, you know, even La Foster at times looked really dangerous against him on Saturday for Burnley, it must be said. So I think that's the the issue for Brentford's defence. It's just a few teething issues where they've lost players to injury, they've lost players because they sold them. And it's just trying to find out what the perfect back four looks like now. 
Uh, let's finish with another on, on Ivan Tony. So he's got, what, 18 months on his contract, can't play until January. Looks as though he wants a move. In your eyes, is, is it a straight shootout between Chelsea and Arsenal to get him? And is that a January thing or is that a summer thing? Now we're into the, the real important stuff. <laughs> um, I had this chat with Liam yesterday. Everybody seems to think it's a foregone conclusion that Tony's going to leave in January. And I'm not ruling that out, but I think it's slightly trickier than, than maybe some people realise. First and foremost, you have to look at it from Brentford's perspective. They've obviously not had the greatest start to the season. If in January, their form hasn't maybe picked up as much as they would have liked, are they going to sell Tony hypothetically for 60 million, pulling a figure out of the hat? when it could massively impact their chances of staying in the division. Because first and foremost, they need to remain a Premier League team. And the money that they'd receive for Tony is nothing compared to the money they receive from staying in the Premier League. So that's kind of the, the boring part of the answer and the, the, the not-so-fun part. You've also got Brian and Bumo and Johan Visser. They're both going to compete at AFCON. So you Brentford will be left with Neil Mope, who I think he's had 39 shots on target and hasn't scored. And according to the XG experts, he should have scored six goals in that time. Uh, Keen Lewis Potter, who's not scored since he joined them over a year ago. And Kevin Sharder, who's currently out injured. So if you're Brentford, you, you, the thought of selling Tony in, in January, you don't really want to entertain at the moment. Having said that, he's a player of tremendous quality. I think even a year ago, people still questioned whether he was a, a truly elite Premier League striker. And I think scoring 20 goals in, in 33 appearances last season kind of answered those critics. Definitely feels like the time is right for him to make a move. He's obviously just broken into the England setup. He'll have one eye on the European Championships when he comes back. Look, a move to, to Chelsea or Arsenal, whoever, is probably only going to boost his, his reputation in that regard. I think Chelsea are probably maybe ahead of Arsenal. And I only say that because feels like Arsenal have FFP considerations to think about and maybe Chelsea have a bit more freedom financially. So if Arsenal were going to make a move for him, I don't know how realistic it is to happen in January. Look, football's a strange sport. Anything can kind of happen. I'm not trying to say he is going to move to Arsenal or he's not going to move to Arsenal. And, and likewise with Chelsea, I just think there's a little more nuance to the situation than some people realise. But the main thing is, I think he's accepted that it's time for him to move on. He's a very ambitious player. I think he deserves to be playing in the Champions League and in Europe. And so watch this space is all I'll say. Whether it happens in January or whether it happens in the summer, I think we can say with, with confidence he will leave Brentford at some point in the next six months or a year. All right, we'll keep an eye on that one then. Um, Jay, I would say enjoy the game on Saturday, but that would be disingenuous. <laughs> so just say enjoy the buffet in the press room. <laughs> Always do anyways. Thanks, guys. Many thanks to Jay. You can read all his excellent work up on The Athletic. Uh, Liam, wanted to ask you about Ivan Tony there, because it's obviously a live one as far as the player is concerned. There's a few red flags for me about this. I mean, primarily the fact that he hasn't played all season and, you know, Chelsea are, are trying to fill in for injured players as it is with the likes of Nkunku. But, but also, you know, you've got the stuff that's happened with him off the pitch, that social media video of him using the expletive about Brentford. Um, the fact that Chelsea, you know, have a poor injury record anyway. So can they afford to bring in somebody who's not going to hit the ground running in terms of fitness? And it's quite a big fee that's been mooted as well. Do you, do you think that he's the answer to Chelsea's problems? I mean, the fact that I've just loaded that question for you would suggest that maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of unknowns. Um, and I realise we're not that part of the pod yet, but Jay referenced me talking to him yesterday. I am actually writing about Ivan Tony for a piece that will be up on The Athletic 
on Thursday, I believe, or Friday at the absolute latest. There are a lot of unknowns with Tony as a potential Chelsea striker. He's an unusual target in a number of ways. First of all, he doesn't fit the age profile of the player that Bowley and Clearlake have been going for in 2023. He's a late bloomer at the top level. And as such, how much untapped potential does he still have? You know, the fact that he's steadily improved year on year should probably give you confidence that at his next club, he would continue to grow his game. But how much, I think, is a, is an open question. And also, he would clearly have to adapt his style for any top team that he he joins, whether it be Chelsea or, or Arsenal or, or another team that's used to having the ball and building up play in, in a slightly different way. I do think he's a talented player. He reminds me in some ways of Olivier Giroud, and that is a comparison that I make in the piece. It just in terms of the way he can amplify others with his hold-up and link-up play. I think he's better technically than people give him credit for. But I think as with most transfers, it's not just a question about the player, it's a question about the price and the potential opportunity cost as well as the the cost in, in raw finance. You know, is he worth Chelsea going out and spending 60, 65 million pounds on in January when, first of all, that deal might still be there in the summer? You know, as Jay said, there may not be another taker for, for Tony at that level and Brentford may not be particularly motivated to sell him in mid-season, depending on where they are. You also have Victor Osimhen, who may or may not be attainable from Napoli and, and looks like he could be a much higher upside target for that position, albeit one that Chelsea would probably face more competition for. And the other big factor for me is that Chelsea still don't know and they can't know at this stage exactly what they have with the attackers they've already got. You know, Nicholas Jackson and Armando Breuer, I think, are both only scratching the surface of the players that they can be for different reasons. One, Jackson has, hasn't been in the league or in this team very long, and Breuer has just come back from an ACL. And then you have Christopher Nkunku, who hasn't even played a minute and was bought to be the primary scorer in this team. So... I'm not sure that Chelsea can even say with 100% certainty that they need a striker in January. And that that's probably the the most interesting part of this of this whole debate, but they they are definitely having the conversation. They're definitely thinking about a number 9 in January and Tony is one of the number 9s that they're thinking about. So I think it's one that we we're probably going to have to revisit at some point closer to the winter window. I guess the, the positive is he got 20 Premier League goals last season, but he would have to come in and hit the ground running, right? Because Nicholas Jackson is going to be at AFCON in January and, and Breuer, as we know, still working his way back. So it's not like you get to bed him in for, for a few games. If he comes in, he's probably going to have to start quite quickly. Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. And, you know, this, the thing is there's so much football to be played between now and January, even though we are in late October. You know, as Liam kind of alluded to, Armando Breuer might have, you know, eight goals by then. You and we may not, you know, think that Chelsea's need for a striker is as great as it is now. Concerns over Tony's fitness are obviously going to play into any kind of deal that you know the hierarchy 
discuss and, and if it, they do it they do it so that I don't think there will be a massive expectation if Tony were to come that he should hit the ground running to be honest because he will just need you know competitive minutes in order to get back up to speed having not played for you know it will be like six months at that point it's you know very similar to a player coming back from a long-term injury all right, well, let's talk about the game from a Chelsea perspective. Then it's the early kickoff on Saturday. Uh, Liam, are you making any changes from from the Arsenal lineup? I'm, I'm thinking a start for Reese James. Does does Azzy come straight back in if he's fit? As far as Reese James goes, it purely depends on how he's feeling with his body. We've spoken about it in these terms before. If he's feeling good towards the end of this week, then I think Pochettino probably will be very tempted to put him in from the start. If not, then you do have Malagusto. One thing I think that will happen is that Levi Colwell will go back to left back and Axel Dizassi will come back in as long as he's fit. Because from what we've seen so far this season, Pochettino has really prioritised keeping that defensive unit as consistent as possible. And Dizassi and Silva, I think, have shown signs in recent weeks of, of building an improved partnership. And Colwell has looked increasingly comfortable at left back, I think, as well, after maybe having a, a slightly trickier start, learning a new position. The other aspect of that is I I, I still just don't think you know what you're going to get from Mark Kukurea from one game to the next. So it, it is a risk, especially putting him up against someone like Brian and Buemo, who who scored a blistering goal at Stamford Bridge last season breaking away down the right-hand side. You know, the prospect of him isolating Kukurea 1v1 is not one that I think Chelsea should feel particularly good about, even if Kukurea rose to the challenge of Saka against Arsenal. So that that's where I'd expect the changes to be made. At some point, we do have to see Benoit Badiashil and he has to get an opportunity. And I think there's a bigger, there's a bigger question still hovering over this whole defence of, how long are you going to rely on Thiago Silva to this extent to kind of hold things together and marshal things? I wasn't expecting him to be in the top three for minutes played again this season after leading the entire squad in minutes played for the first half of last year. He's a marvel, but Badiashil needs to get his run sooner or later. Yeah, I wonder if um, Blackburn in the cup midweek might be a good one for that. Uh, in terms of attack, Luke, uh, the strikerless formation worked pretty well last week. Does that mean you're saying, I'm sorry, Nick Jackson, or I am for real strikers in my team? It's something that I was thinking about a lot before we were talking to Jay. And I think where I am on it is, I feel like to an extent, you've got to go horses for courses. And I think a large part of that Pochettino set up against Arsenal was because Arsenal averaged you know, a lot of possession in the league, similar numbers to Chelsea, around 60%. And we knew that they would have a lot of the ball. We knew that they liked to build up, you know, with kind of Ben White, Jorginho, Zinchenko, even Rice in that sort of middle third. And I think having Gallagher and Palmer to press, you know, those players in that area was was really, really good. But, you know, as Jay told us, Brentford are very likely to go to a three at the back against Chelsea. They went four at the back against Burnley, but previously against Man United. Again, they were very unlucky to lose. Uh, they went three at the back and... Uh, I think they had about 36% possession after scoring early and it was a setup that worked very well for them. So I, I, you know, long story short, I'd expect them to go three at the back. I'd expect them to surrender possession. And 
in doing so, I think Chelsea would really benefit from having an out-and-out number nine, especially someone like Nicholas Jackson. I think with his pace, ability to run in behind, Nathan Collins, you know, as Jay said, is not the quickest player. I think that would be really, really dangerous for Brentford. I don't remember that outcast track, Horses for Courses. Is that one of the <laughs> one of the album tracks, Luke? It was a B-side. Uh, must have been. <laughs> um, Liam, I feel like every podcast we've done for the last 18 months when we've previewed a game, I've said, this is important for Chelsea to get the win, isn't it? But I, the angle that I'm using for that particular question this week is the atrocious home form. When one of the last 12 Premier League home games, I th- feel like the supporters have been pretty patient so far and the atmosphere against Arsenal last week was excellent. But this is one that Chelsea need to get three points from just to kind of get back on the horse at Stamford Bridge as much as anything else. Yeah, it's been a rough ride for the fans who frequent Stamford Bridge over the past 18 months, I'd say. But I'd be wary of reading too much into the the stats over a longer period when talking about this team, because I just think there's been so much change between, well, between the first half of last season and then post-January and then post-summer with just so many new players, a new coach, a new playing identity. I think we have to look and weigh more heavily the the more recent evidence. And the more recent evidence is that Chelsea are playing well. And so I think they they should go into this game with confidence. Brentford are clearly a very well-coached, dangerous Premier League team. But I think the last two times Chelsea have lost to them at home, they've been pretty damn incompetent. And that has contributed mightily to the to the goals they've conceded and the frustration that they've experienced against Brentford's low block. I think they're they're doing a lot more things right now. This is going to be a much tougher game for Brentford. And they should be confident, I think, even after the Arsenal game, because of the Arsenal game, even though they they gave up those two goals and and those two points. I think they should be very confident from that performance that they're continuing to trend in the in the right direction. And I know they've got a tough run of games following this, but that Arsenal game should also give them a degree of optimism that they can go into that run of games and actually beat or compete with the teams that are above them. I mean, they're going to need to if they're going to salvage this season, but I think there's every reason to suspect that they, they should win against Brentford. And I say that as someone who is deliberately making sure that he's not going to be at the game. (laughs) Um, Well, the good news is that Chelsea have won more points and scored more goals in the last three games than they did in the previous nine. Uh, The bad news is that they've won two of the last 11 Premier League games kicking off at 12.30 and Brentford have got an excellent derby record of late they're unbeaten in their last 12 London derbies in the Premier League. Whatever happens, we will reflect on it on Monday's pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey. 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, no game for the women's team this weekend. There's an international break. Uh, the under-21s host Leicester in PL2 on Friday night. Chelsea 11th in the table, already nine points behind leaders Spurs, but this ought to be a good opportunity to get three points. Leicester had lost four in a row before a surprise win at Fulham in their last outing. Uh, Chelsea in decent form, all told at under-21 level. They've won four of their last five in all competitions. Uh, the under-18s face Spurs for the second week in a row after winning 4-3 away in the Cup last week. The Young Blues welcome Spurs to Cobham in the league on Saturday morning. All right, we'll do a quiz next. So this is Chelsea and Brentford theme. Lucy, I feel like this is quite a tough quiz. You've been pretty critical of uh, the standard questions in recent weeks. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I would say it's not the prettiest. Okay. But I back the contestants to (laughs) surprise you. All right. Well, let's see. Luke, you're up first. Who was the last Chelsea player to score against Brentford? It was at Stamford Bridge in April 2022. The last Chelsea player to score against Brentford. I'm pretty sure that was a game we lost. Um, no further clues. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going for a clue. I'm just. Uh, just that nearly... was fishing. I'm used to it. Yeah. <laughs> not my first quiz. Um. I mean, I'm just going to have to try and think of someone who is around. I don't know. I, I can't remember if it was that season or the season before. But I feel like I remember. Rudiger scoring against Brentford in recent years. So I'm going to go with that. And that is absolutely correct. Well done. Um, gets harder from here. Liam, which Chelsea player scored an own goal in this fixture last season? I know this because I, I looked up the recent fixtures <laughs> in the course of writing this Avantoni piece uh, and watched the highlights back. So it was Cesar Aspilicueta. Right, just bedding you in. With those first two questions, lads, now we're going to step it up a bit. Uh, Luke, when Chelsea beat Brentford 2-0 in the League Cup quarterfinal at the Brentford Community Stadium in 2021, injuries and a COVID outbreak meant Thomas Tuchel selected three teenage debutants in his starting lineup. Name one of those, please. Three teenage debutants. So what was the date, sorry, Matt? It was 2021. It was the League Cup quarterfinal. Okay. In the starting 11. In the starting 11. I am I'm struggling to think of. I mean, you know, kind of as Liam said, there's been so much change in the Chelsea squad mm. um, in the last few years. Um, I can tell you that none of them are in the first team squad now in October 2023. None. Um, okay. That. That, that does actually help. That is, you've given me a bit of a hint there. Um, don't know. Was it? Um, did Vale make his debut in that game? Going to need a first name. Harvey Vale. Yeah. Yes. Well done, um, Liam. Can you name the other two for no bonus points? I was going to say Vale. Um, I also remember Jude since at Bell, but I don't know if he started. He did, yes. So he was one, now at Spurs. Oh, and was there... Sounds like another player who's making waves across Europe at the moment. 
Xavier Simons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he's at Hull now. Anyway, well done, Luke. I thought this was a hard quiz and you got both questions right so far. Uh, Liam, can you make it 2-2 uh, and give Lucy cause to start thinking of a tiebreaker, which for some reason I never do. Uh, oh, whoa. Uh, she's actually saying that question three for you, Luke, is way too easy. No pressure. Um, where are we, though? We're on question two for Liam. Which midfielder left Chelsea's academy to join Brentford in the summer of 2021? He made two appearances for the Bees in the 2021-22 season and he spent last season on loan at Forest Green Rovers. You know what, Matt? I think you've included this particular player in a previous Chelsea Brentford quiz and you almost didn't give me the answer because you you took issue with my pronunciation of his name. Not that okay. I didn't know him. Let's see. Miles Pert Harris? Absolutely correct, yeah. Well, my confidence is getting shattered here. 2-2 two, two, though. Uh, so here's the one, Luke, which is a tap-in, according to Lucy. No pressure. Which former Chelsea midfielder, currently playing his trade at Oxford United, started for Brentford in Chelsea's 4-0 home win against the Bees in the FA Cup in 2017? Uh, I believe, knowing League One as I do, um, I believe it's Josh McEachran. Indeed it was. Indeed it is too easy. All right, Liam. You've been on a dire run of form of late. You need to get this. Otherwise, we're heading for a tie break. Ooh, the tie break question's evil as well. Uh, here we go. Which goalkeeper made the penultimate of his seven appearances for Chelsea in the 2-2 FA Cup draw against Brentford at Griffin Park in January 2013? Rafael Benitez was the manager. Much missed, but not by Chelsea. January 2013. Sorry, can you repeat the question? Which goalkeeper made the penultimate of his seven appearances for Chelsea in the 2-2 FA Cup draw against Brentford at Griffin Park in January 2013? You know, the really galling thing about this is I'm going to lose this quiz despite knowing the answers to all of Luke's questions <laughs> and sitting here patiently while he's like slowly talked his way into the right answer each time. Oh. Desperate for one of you to get a question wrong, I've got to say. You talk about slow, Liam. I wasn't taking as long as Dom took uh, last week. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was the fact that you seemed so unsure and then just narrate, narrated your way to the right answer. <laughs> well, it helps, you know, talking out loud. Talking out loud helps. Uh, try it, try yeah, it. No, no I, I do it, but invariably I'm just stalling. It feels like that's what's uh, happening now, I've got to say, Liam. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, My my knowledge of Chelsea reserve goalkeepers goes back only so far. Um, I have to push it. Come on. This is too early for Mark Schwarzer, but I'm going to say him. It's never too early for Mark Schwarzer, but it is the incorrect answer. Luke, do you want to rub some salt into the wound and, and tell... Liam, who it is? I mean, it, I, I wish I could. I, I wish I could. I've not got a clue. Doesn't matter though, does it? Because you've won anyway. It was Ross Turnbull. <laughs> Ross Turnbull. 
I would say in Liam's defence, his third question was a lot harder than my third question. <laughs> oh, I thought that was hard. Well, Liam, I feel bad as well as you do uh, after this quiz, but congratulations, Luke. You're in, you're in a decent run now, right? I feel like that's back-to-back quiz winnings for you. I think they've both yeah. been against me. No, I think I, I beat I beat Dom last week. I've just got oh, okay. to take on the, uh, the behemoth that is Simon Johnson uh, in the near future. <laughs> We'll try and set that up soon, but you're certainly informed to take him on. Lucy wanted to know how many Brentford matches Thomas Frank has been in charge of, which is which is not fair. But if either of you would like to hazard a guess, there are there are no points, but plenty of kudos on offer. Um, let me think. I think he was in charge for. He has been in charge for five years. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go two hundred and. 65. Liam? I think he took over part of the way into a championship season. And there's obviously a million games per season in the championship. Um, And he had three years in the championship, two years in the Premier League. So... I'll say 230. Oh, you're the closest, but neither of you are right. It's 243. So... Two very good guesses, but no points. Maybe the most successful assistant promoted to actual coach in recent times. Doesn't seem to happen that often. Anyway, this is not a Brentford podcast. Who cares about that? Uh, we are just about done for the day. Luke, I see you've been writing about Christian Pulisic and how he's getting on in Milan and particularly their Champions League travails. Yeah, pretty um, poor result for Milan um, with Tamori and Loftus-Cheek there as well lost 3-0 against PSG but they've been going far better in Serie A they're second behind Inter despite the fact they lost 1-0 at home against Juventus uh, last Sunday good uh, fingers crossed that it continues to go well for Chelsea B this season in Serie A uh, Liam you've teased your Ivan Tony piece would you like to give us some more info on that or anything else that we can look forward to yeah so it's just a piece that I've spoken to Jay about and I've been working with Mark Carey, our data guru, uh, trying to inform our readers about what exactly makes Ivan Tony good, how good is he and how well suited might he be to Chelsea if they decide to to pursue him in January. Um, that's the only thing I'm working on at the moment because as of Thursday, I'm going to Mallorca for the weekend. I'm trying to continue a proud recent tradition of being in a different country when Chelsea get humiliated by Brentford at home. I missed the 4-1 a couple of years ago because I was in Zagreb researching Mateo Kovacic and Luka Modric. I remember seeing Antonio Rudiger's 25-yard shot on my phone as I was walking around central Zagreb and thinking, oh God, he's going to do that every week now, isn't he? He's going to try one of those every single week. And he did. Uh, well, the good news for you is that the outlook is good in Mallorca this weekend. 24 degrees and sunny on both Saturday and Sunday. Let's hope that the sun shines on Stamford Bridge on Saturday too. Uh, thanks to Jay Harris for joining us earlier and to Luke and Liam for their contributions and Lucy for putting it all together. We'll be back with you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Bye for now. But you're going to ask me which recent Chelsea and Brentford player recently holidayed in Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> The Athletic.